operators, non-negotiators, chronic bullshitters, and bill collectors. Please hang up and call somebody else. Other than that, call me on business, so you have no business calling me, J. Cole. This show is intended for a mature audience only and may contain harsh language, trans fats, live nudes, and derogatory comments about your mother. Those who are easily offended or have no sense of humor are encouraged to turn off the show now. Parental discretion is advised. My enemies are many. My equals are none. They fear me like a force of nature, a dealer in thunder and death. I say... I am Emperor! You're listening to The Emperor and the Emperor's Court. It's a celebration of mediocrity. All this energy calling me Back where it comes from It's such a crude attitude It's back where it belongs All the little kids growing up on the skids are going Cleveland rocks, Cleveland rocks German Jean Jean is Moody James Dean going Cleveland rocks, Cleveland rocks from the shores of Lake Erie to the banks of the Cahaga, live from the war room here in Cleveland, Ohio, USA, I am your host, the Emperor. This is the Emperor's Court here on AlphaGeekRadio.com. Obviously, I'm your host, the Emperor, joined in studio by no one. And it'll surprise you as my phone starts blowing up here. As, I'm sorry, people are texting me all of a sudden at the last second. Okay, got it. I'm joined in studio by no one uh, for a variety of reasons. Bast, unfortunately. Uh, had a job to do, and she wasn't going to get out until 8 o'clock her time, and it's, she's an hour away. Uh, Lulu is dead to the world upstairs, sleeping uh, in one of the spare bedrooms because she had a long weekend and is sleeping it off. And Hawkeye, unfortunately, is in the hospital, although I expect him to be released here shortly. Um, <clears throat> uh, he went on a booze cruise with his stripper girlfriend, who I guess really wowed all the various people that were at this booze cruise, as well as Mystic Mim and their niece, who they took for her 25th birthday. As I try to adjust my microphone here. Uh, I'm not using mine. I couldn't get to mine, so I have to use Lulu's. And she is short, so let's take some adjusting, as I am not. Anyways, uh, some shenanigans took place. I'm not entirely sure exactly what happened. I believe... He uh, went to step onto a set of stairs, which were, I guess, not lit up. He didn't see them. He hit it, tripped, fell, and broke his ankle. So I believe he's in the hospital right now, getting that adjusted and cast. And uh, if we have any further updates as the show goes on, I will pass them on to you. So, yes, drunken shenanigans involving Hawkeye, and we cannot pass them on to you until at least next week, which kind of sucks. Well, it's been about three weeks since we were on the air, and a lot has happened. Now, obviously, the reason why the show has not been on the air is because of... Well, I got something in my throat. There we go. (sighs) 
trying to get everything done here to start off with. All right. The uh, <clears throat> the reason why we have not been on the air is because the true is twenty first or twenty fourth. Did we have a show between then? I don't remember because I know the problem was the the Cavaliers, the Cleveland Cavaliers, our NBA team, has been in the NBA Finals. Now I don't know how many of you are familiar with Cleveland. And it's run of bad luck for the past five plus decades of always getting just close enough <clears throat> and then losing it out in the end. So the Cavaliers have been playing some of their finals games on Sundays and at eight o'clock that kind of wiped out um, a lot of our shows. We had one on the 19th, there was one on the 12th. So we've been kind of busy. Ugh. Trying to fix my eye. I'm falling apart here as the show goes on. There we go. So we've been watching the NBA Finals. We have not been here for the, the show. <clears throat> 25th birthday. Sorry, that got it. All right. Hopefully the audio has stopped popping. At any rate. The Cavaliers were down three games to one, headed into um, game five. Okay. Uh, it's best of seven. You will lose four. You're eliminated. No team. <clears throat> oh, my. No team in the history of the NBA Finals has ever come back three games to one. Only 32 teams in its 60 or 70 plus years have ever come back uh, 3-1 and, well, has ever had the road team win the game of the game seven away. All right. So 3-1. Headed into the finals. They're headed into the uh, game five. Now, game five was here in Cleveland. All right. We beat the shit out of them. And I believe that was last Monday. We then played game six. Or game five. Yeah, game five was on their floor. It was actually in Oakland. Okay, in Golden State. We beat them there. They'd only lost three games the entire season at home. Then we flew to Cleveland for game six. All right. And that was on Thursday the... Actually, I think I want to back everything up here. I think that was Thursday the 16th. So Monday the 13th, Thursday the 16th. With the Game 7, we beat the shit out of them here. And then Game 7 was the 19th, last Sunday. So we had some people over here. Baron Von Ghost was over here, obviously. Uh, you know, Hawkeye actually decided to go downtown. And in a way, I kind of wish I had gone with him. If we had, if we didn't have so many people coming over, I would have. Uh, Lulu was here, and, and Mystic Mim, and a couple of our friends were here. And actually, my dad stopped over. I, the place was packed. So we got everybody here. We're watching the game, and it's it's back and forth. Every game up to this point had been a blowout, either for us or for them. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. We head into the final minute, and it is tied 89 points apiece. Now, I tell you all this because while we're sitting here watching all this, Baron and I keep looking over at Lulu, who's sitting on the couch. Uh, in the next, We have I recliner couches in the war room, okay? So everybody's got their own recliner couch. And she's sitting in the corner off to my left. She's sitting next to me. And she's bouncing her legs. She's standing up. And, and every three seconds, like, oh, 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 my God. Oh, I can't believe this. Oh. I mean, you want to talk about a bundle of nervous energy. She was starting to really bother me because it, it constantly moving, constantly, I mean, standing up, sitting down, standing up, pacing. I'm like, sit down, you're going to stroke me out. Because at this point, I, I don't get nervous, I get mad. And I get loud, and so does Baron. 
In fact, Mystic Mim, about halfway through the game, uh, almost close to halftime, gave up when she went to bed. Now, she didn't actually fall asleep, but she cannot watch the games with me. Apparently, somebody now texts me again. Apparently, I get too wrapped up in these big games, and she can't handle that. She doesn't like it. She likes she the tension's too much for her. She doesn't like watching the game. In my defense, we were all pretty much in the same boat. Everybody was really ratcheted up here. It's a championship game. We haven't had one in Cleveland in seven or sorry, what fifty two years? Uh, no, it, Khalil says I was going to do a show on Wednesday for the patrons. No, the show that I'm going to do, which I'll record after this one goes off the air, is going to be a brief rundown, a synopsis of all the different failures of Cleveland sports. And my take on them is I've been alive to experience most of them. Actually, I've been alive technically to experience all of them. Although Red Right 88, I was only two years old. So I can't comment about that. But I will I will do all that for the patrons. Uh, <clears throat> I will actually record it following this episode. So we're going nuts. And it's 50 seconds left. They drive down the to the court. Uh, I think it's uh, Iguodala goes up for a layup, and LeBron James comes out of nowhere and blocks it, and he he traps it against the backboard, gets it, rebounds. Now Kyrie Irving, friggin' Mister Iceman here, runs down the court. He's at the three point range. He's being blocked by the MVP of the league, the only unanimous MVP in the history of the NBA. Pulls up at the three, launches one with 50 seconds left, drains it. Cavs up by three. At this point, it's bedlam in the in the basement here. We're going nuts. And very quickly, everybody shuts up because now there's 40 seconds left, and Cleveland has blown so many games in the last seconds of, of these games. And again, I'll get to that in the patrons. not going to ruin it. But we're everybody's looking we're like, all right, how are we going to fuck this one up? Collectively, we're all looking at each other sideways and thinking, all right, we're screwed. Somehow they're going to score a three or we're going to foul them. Something. So they get the ball, and they drive down, and Curry's got it. <clears throat> the MVP, Steph Curry. And, uh, again, it's our blood pressure is rising. The tension's ratcheting. Everybody's now standing up. All right, we were sitting. Literally, I was had moved to the edge of my seat. We're now all standing. Shoulder to shoulder here in the basement. So Steph Curry drives around. He's shaking, he's baking. He's, he's trying to find an opening. Kevin Love is in front of him with the Cleveland Cavaliers, who had an awful series and leading into this, because the Cavaliers had gone down three games to one, had been blown out in games one and two. I mean, badly. Nobody gave them a prayer of even making it to game seven, let alone winning. Nobody. Myself included. Not only had it never been done, but we were playing against Golden State, who was coming off of the uh, most wins in a single season ever, the only unanimous MVP in the history of the NBA ever, on their team, they had we had to beat them four out of five games, two of them on their home court, which they had lost three games the entire year. Oh, and no team has ever come back three to one in the history of the NBA. There's been 32 teams. Not one of them has ever done it. And no team since 1978 has ever won game seven while playing on the other team's home court. So, yeah, history kind of backed me up on this. Nobody thought they were going to win. So Steph Curry is driving down the court. He needs to shoot a three because they're down by three. 30 seconds left. Kevin Love is now in his face. All right, Steph Curry isn't much taller than I am. 
And Kevin Love is in his face, and Kevin Love's a pretty tall dude. Kevin Love sucks. Leading up to this, there was a lot of belief that Kevin Love, who actually didn't start a couple of the games, and he had to sit out one because of a concussion he got, <clears throat> that he might actually be traded in the offseason, and he very well maybe, because he had sucked so bad, and yet we had brought him in for the express purpose of being the third corner of our, you know, triangle of death. Okay, well, he was the triangle of, you know, a civil and cold. He is in Curry's face. He doesn't get close enough to foul him, but he gives him no room to get ready for that three. So Curry shoots a three with, what, 15 seconds left, bricks it. Hits the back of the uh, the backboard, way off mark, not even close to the rim. Uh, Ugadala rebounds, but he's in the two-point range. He shoots, misses. Now, at this point, and I'm leaving a part out, LeBron James had actually driven down the court and been fouled. Landed on his wrist very badly. He was able to score uh, one out of two free throws, so we're up by four. So not only do they need the three points, they also, because LeBron drives down, gets the point, now they're down by four. They have, I think, 15 seconds left. There's not enough time. So again, they try to launch a three. They can't get one. Rebounds off. Cavaliers win. Time expires, and we all kind of you know, got real loud, and we started cheering, and then it automatically stopped. And they're all kind of looking at you like, did we win? Did we actually win? And then we're waiting. Was there a foul? Is there something we missed? Everybody on the court is crying. They're losing their shit. LeBron James is, you know, he's laying on the ground. He's crying. Tyron Lue, the head coach, is just beside himself. They're showing pictures around Quicken Loans Arena because they had a watch party here in Cleveland. They sold out all 20-some thousand tickets to watch the game in our home court since we were playing in Oakland on the big Jumbotron they've got there. Actually, I think they call it the Humongotron. The largest freestanding television indoors in the world. Whatever. They're absolute bedlam downtown. Outside the arena, they had about 20,000 people surrounding Quicken Loans. They're going nuts. We had heard during the third quarter they'd actually shut down, uh, they'd actually shut down Cleveland. They'd actually shut off and closed all of the uh, off-ramps leading from the highway into downtown Cleveland. There were so many people downtown as the game progressed, you could not go anywhere. There was nowhere to park, nowhere to drive. Everybody was on foot. It was nuts. Artemis, wait a second. Isn't LeBron James the bad guy? Uh, not anymore. Not now. LeBron James, Kyrie Irving, the rest, delivered the first championship to Cleveland since 1964. Now, LeBron James is a bad guy to some of us. Me, personally, I don't like him on a personal level. As a player, he did exactly what he said he was going to do, with a lot of help from everybody else. He was the MVP of the finals. I think Kyrie Irving should get some uh, credit in that same regard. I thought he played an amazing series. It was just nuts. So they start they start cutting away to, and I'm, I'm flipping channels now for all the different news stations. And we can hear it in the basement, the fireworks going off everywhere. Everybody around, at least where we lived, apparently didn't wait for July 4th and blew off their reserve of fireworks that night. Like, this is nuts. So I go outside, and we're flipping channels, and we're looking at all the different news stations, because everybody's now breaking in. It's breaking news here in Cleveland that the Cavaliers have won. I mean, the, the news anchors are crying. Some, I think Channel 5 brought out champagne, and they started drinking that on the air, which is a big no-no. You never see that here in the States. Your news personalities are not allowed to drink on air. And that's not just radio or uh, uh, TV. It's also radio. 
So they're drinking champagne on air. They're showing pictures of Cleveland, and it's just one giant mass of humanity. They're climbing on cars. They're climbing on buildings. They're climbing on whatever they can find. They're chanting. There's you know crying. There's there's celebration everywhere. I have not seen its like in the city ever because we haven't had won the big one in my lifetime. Like I said, 1964 was the last time Cleveland won anything, and that was the NFL championship. That was I think a year or two before they started calling it the Super Bowl, back when Jim Brown was here. So I go outside. There's people, and this is about 10.30 at night, 11 o'clock at night. People are outside. Everybody's, you know, banging on pots and pans. Everybody's cheering, and this is all up and down my neighborhood. There are fireworks going off everywhere, everywhere. Artemis says, you are only allowed to fire off fireworks on December 31st unless you seek uh, permission. Okay, well, you're not allowed to shoot off fireworks here at all, ever. Not personally, no. The cities can for like 4th of July, which is coming up next weekend, but not here. Obviously, you know, people don't really listen to that because we like doing whatever the hell we want, and we did. So, it, it just nuts. Baron's going apeshit. I am. Lulu's crying like a girl, because she is. Mystic Mim has now come down because she wasn't actually sleeping. She was waiting to hear, you know, what was going on. She's like, look, I couldn't sleep because you guys kept on screaming at the television every time LeBron missed it or every time they turned over the ball or every time Kyrie got it or something. She said, you guys wouldn't shut up. And I wasn't going to sleep anyways. So she said, considering the basement's not torn to shreds, I'm guessing we won. Yes, dear, we won. So it was just, it was amazing. It was, and I, I... I remember I just kind of sank to my knees and I, after everybody screamed initially when we won, and I, I just I had nothing to say. It was just, it was surreal. You couldn't believe it happened. We'd been so close so many times, only to have it ripped away from us literally at the last second. And I'll cover that a bit more when I do uh, the, the patron show. It was, it was something else. And... Having been a lifelong Cleveland sports fan, you kind of you kind of accepted the fact that you probably wouldn't see a championship in your lifetime. That it was just our lot in life to always get close and then fail. You know, our lot in life never to have the big, huge free agent players come to Cleveland because we're a smaller Midwest town and nobody cares. Everybody wants to play in the big cities on the coasts where they can go to parties, where they can be famous, where they can be seen. And although LeBron James did not do that when he was here the first time, he refused to advertise for the team, to try to bring in players, to try to recruit anybody. He didn't do that when he came back. In 2014, he did recruit players. He brought people back, he asked for certain trades, and it paid off. And it could not have come against a much better team. The Golden State Warriors was a team that they beat us last year. Now, we were out. Three of our best players were injured and out for the series. They've been out for most of the playoffs. So it was basically LeBron James and a bunch of bench players against the best team in the NBA. And we took them to six. This year, we had everybody healthy. Everybody went in there, and although we laid an egg in three of the first four games, we punched them in the mouth the last four, sort of last three. And we won. But all the while, they started complaining because one of their best players, Draymond Green, was suspended for Game 5. Why? 
Because as we talked about leading into the series in our last show, Draymond Green is a nut sniper. He likes to punch guys in the balls. Well, wouldn't you know it, he did that to LeBron James in Game 4. LeBron James steps over him in transition. When they're running down the court, Draymond Green falls. He steps over him, uh, that or step on him. So Draymond Green's mad. He reaches up and punches LeBron James in the balls. He got suspended for Game 5. In my opinion, the fucker should have been suspended for the entire series. But they weren't going to take one of Golden State's best players in the middle of the finals. Because the NBA doesn't give a fuck. They care about their bottom line. They care about all the hoopla around it. So, of course, LeBron James is getting vilified by Golden State Warrior fans. The Golden State players. Clay Thompson goes up there and says, well, he probably just got his feelings hurt. Because he got, he got uh, punched in the nuts. So, you know, it's a man's game. It's a man's league. They got Draymond Green saying, the only reason the Cavaliers won game five, because we did, on their home court, is because I didn't play. You know, if I had been there to stop LeBron James, they, they wouldn't have won. We dropped 41 points. LeBron James had 41. Kyrie Irving had 41. The only time in NBA history two players on the same team scored 40 or more points in the same game. Then you have Aisha Curry. Now, folks, Twitter is an amazing thing. And while I don't tweet a great deal, I am on it daily. I do respond to a lot of people. And I declared that if the Cavaliers won, and they won it all, I would launch a 12-month trolling crusade against all fans and players and staff of the Golden State Warriors. They had talked so much trash. They had been so arrogant such assholes that I felt the need to go ahead and take the fight to them. Aisha Curry is the wife of Stefan Curry, the MVP, Golden State Warriors. And she, perhaps more than anybody else on their team, did more to turn people against her in Golden State than anything Steph Curry could have done or Klay uh, Thompson or the rest of them. Game 6 in Cleveland. Steph Curry fouls out. He gets six fouls, and he's thrown out of the game. He's fouled out, okay? I'm sorry, he's not thrown out yet. He's fouled out, meaning you've had too many fouls, you can no longer play. You get six, and you're done. you got to sit down. He got so mad, he took his mouth guard out of his, out of his head, or I'm sorry, out of his mouth, which is disgusting because he's chewing on it all the time, sticks it out of his mouth, everybody hates it. And he whips it at one of our fans who is waving goodbye to him. Whips it, and then starts screaming at the referee. Okay. Not only is that disgusting, had I been the fan who got hit, I would have immediately fallen to the ground, grabbed my neck, and pretended I had been crippled, and then sued the shit out of him. So obviously the referees throw him out of the game. You're done. Give us a te- gives him a technical foul. He's tossed in the game. He's fined $25,000 because he threw it. The fan he hit was the son of one of the minor uh, owners of the Cavaliers. So I, I believe he jokingly said that he was going to put the uh, mouth guard on eBay. I would have. Hell yeah, I would have. So Aisha Curry, no sooner as this happened, begins tweeting. First, she accused the NBA of being rigged and only cares about ratings and money by having the referees throw the game for Cleveland. I will stop right there and say that nothing has been rigged in favor of Cleveland in the history of forever. It wasn't rigged that your husband couldn't hit the broadside of a barn 
or that Clay Thompson couldn't find a three with both hands if he was standing underneath the basket. But I digress. Then she starts tweeting out saying that her, her father had been almost arrested. He was profiled by the Cleveland Police Department before the game started, and they were being harassed. So it turns out it was not the Cleveland Police Department. It was the NBA personal security. And the reason he was being profiled was because they had a uh, con artist, a counterfeiter, who had made and had been making counterfeit tickets to get into the games. Wouldn't you know it, the same guy they're looking to looking for happens to look exactly like her father. Exactly like him. Now, did she bother to apologize to the Cleveland police? No. Did she bother to apologize to the Cavaliers of the NBA? No. Was her father admitted into the game? Yes, after five minutes, he was able to prove who he was, they let him into the game. Then she accuses the Cavaliers of keeping everybody on the buses, all the family of the players, and not being allowed to go into the arena until the game started, until right before it started, and said, oh, they're doing this nice tactic again. Turns out, mm, it wasn't the Cavaliers who were preventing them from getting off the bus. It was because Jay-Z and Beyonce showed up with their giant posse before the buses had arrived from the hotel. And they were the ones backing traffic underground in the private parking area of Quicken Loans Arena. Did she apologize to the Cavaliers? No. Did she apologize to the people working the Cavaliers underground facility for accusing them of deliberately keeping them on the bus until five minutes before the game started? No. Did she miss any of the game? No. Not at all. Then she has to complain. She complained after game five, saying that the referees, uh, can you find a referee because they were being bad? Okay, well, Golden State got two to one more calls than we did. So, obviously, this is going on in game five. Then she laments the fact that she has to go back to that shithole Cleveland uh, with those horrible fans in that awful city with nothing to do. I can't believe we have to go back there. For those who are wondering why this woman gets so much attention, is because she is the very definition of an attention whore. She very much wants her own reality show and has been jonesing for one for some time. She has been actually advocating for a reality show for herself. Aisha Curry, again, I still believe, did more to rile up people against Golden State because he didn't find anybody outside of Oakland lamenting the fact that they lost Game 7. If anything, he saw a lot of people around the country, not just from Cleveland, kind of neither and said, yeah, you know what? They deserve to lose. Fuck them. The last thing you want to do is taunt LeBron James. And you do it as a team and as a city. They're throwing out baby bottles during game five. They were throwing out, I mean, all kinds of stuff against LeBron James. Not smart. Not wise. Because then he buried you. And back-to-back games. And that's ignoring the fact that Kyrie Irving was throwing in 30, 40 points a night because they couldn't stop him. He made Steph Curry look like a punk, an absolute punk. And all the storylines was last year was that Kyrie Irving for the Cleveland Cavaliers has no defense. He can't guard Steph Curry. Okay, well, he didn't play last year because he had a broken kneecap, but he did play this year, and holy shit, don't take my word for it, just do a Google search, Kyrie Irving and Steph Curry, and watch how many times... He made him look like a fucking fool. 
Steph Curry got faked out of his jock strap nightly and got pummeled. It was glorious. Which leads to what happened this week. This past Wednesday, they decided to have what we have not had since 1948, which was a victory parade. The closest thing to a Roman triumph that you will ever actually see. Now, obviously, the game was last Sunday. The parade was Wednesday. So they're throwing this all together at the last second. So they 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 get all they get the floats together and and they actually didn't have the route or the time actually put out until Tuesday afternoon. So less than twenty four, actually about twenty hours, for people to find out exactly where it was going to be held, how you're going to get there, etc. And it was going to be starting quick loans and they're just going to do a quick tour of the city, and then they're going to have they built this huge stage over at one of our parks downtown. It's not like Central Park, but it's big enough. It's you know pretty big. And it's in between, it happens right next to my building where I work. I did not go to work that day. I said, God damn it, I'm going to go downtown and I'm going to see this parade. Because I probably will not be alive to see the next one. Uh, Because I'll die prematurely because of my horrible, horrible health. A. Or we'll never win another one. B. At any rate, I decide I'm going to go. I don't know that anybody in Cleveland truly had any idea of how many people were going to show up. The parade organizers vastly underestimated how many people were coming. Dan Gilbert, the owner of the Cavaliers who was throwing the parade, vastly underestimated how many people were coming. I vastly underestimated how many people were coming. I left the house at 8 o'clock in the morning. The parade was supposed to start at 11. Now, I knew there were some people that were going to be down there. Hawkeye spent the night there because he wanted to have a seat on at the mall, at the park, where the stage was built, where they were going to have their big speech. I just wanted to see the parade. So I go down there. And first, I started, I, I went to one of the bus terminals nearby, all right, thinking, okay, I'll take the RTA, our rapid transit system, I will hop on a bus, and I will take it, you know, 25 minutes downtown to Cleveland, because they were saying, the RTA will have buses running every 10 minutes from every one of our locations. The RTA vastly underestimated how many people were coming. They also have a rapid system, which is um, shuttles, uh, uh, trains that they run to and from the suburbs into Cleveland. Well, they were announcing over the radio at 8.30 in the morning that all the parking at every single one of the RTA transit spots on the east and west side of Cleveland were full. Do not go to them. They're stopping. They're not running anymore because they have no room to put any more people. So I go to the bus terminal, and I waited to get on a bus, and I have enough time that I count... 444 people ahead of me to get on a bus. Each RTA bus holds about 40 people. Now, I was there for about 15 minutes, hadn't seen a bus. The couple in front of me said, eh, we haven't seen one in about 25 minutes, so we've been here that long. Now, unfortunately, a bunch of people wanted to go with me, but due to work and everything else, and the fact that they waited to the last minute to tell anybody, nobody could get off work to go. I was very lucky in that I was able to. So I'm like, fuck this. I'm going to roll the dice. I'm going to drive downtown. (laughs) I drive downtown. 
what is normally during rush hour, about a 40-minute drive for me to get there, took an hour and a half. Now, the closest I could get to the parade was East 9th, okay? I had to park way over on East 40th. Now, about three or four more streets over into like the East 45, East 50th area, you know, that's gangland. That shows how dedicated I was to actually come to this thing that I was just a little real close to gang turf. Now, I couldn't find a park to, uh, place to park, but I did find this this little small Korean and, and uh, uh, Vietnamese place. And I walked in, and there was like three or four guys working there, about near 20-something. I said, hey, I noticed your parking lot's empty. You guys don't open for a while. This is about probably about, uh, not quite 10 o'clock. I said, if I pay you 20 bucks and I park in your lot, yeah, yeah sure, go ahead. Uh, we'll tell everybody you're here. Which one's your car? So it's the only car in your parking lot. Here's 20 bucks. So what time are you open till? Ah, we're open till late. Good, I'll be back for you know lunch or dinner. It's about 10 in the morning. So then I walk from East 40, I think it was East 41st, all the way to East 9th. Not a small walk. But there are people streaming in from everywhere. And I pass over a couple uh, overpasses, and I'm looking to my left and right of all the cars trying to get downtown. And they are backed up for miles, as far as the eye can see, in every direction. Keep in mind, this is about 10 o'clock in the morning. The parade starts at 11. Yes, you should get there early. <laughs> Not that it would have mattered. I finally get over to East 9th, over by, and if you're looking on Google Maps, uh, I was next to St. John's Cathedral. Um, there was St. John's Cathedral, and then one of the, uh, this uh, Arab deli that I go to that has really good corned beef. And I'm sitting between there, and it's got to be... 30, 40 rows deep worth of people against the against the street, all the way in between the buildings. So I find a spot and I kind of you know throw some elbows and and I I get on top of a basically a, a flower bed. So I'm a little elevated so I can kind of see over some of the people. So I've got time to kill. I'm looking around, looking around. There are people hanging out of every window of every building and every skyscraper, every building nearby. There are people on the roof. I look up at St. John's. And I did not know this, but there must be a little tiny uh, uh, walkway between where the roof is and the edge of the rampart because there's two guys walking on the roof of the cathedral, this huge cathedral. It's the, the seat of the Catholic Diocese in Cleveland, all right, where Bishop Landon has a seat. And these guys are up there, and they're just kind of leaning against the, uh, the roof, and they're kind of looking down. Like, jeez, oh, man. There are people climbing on top of porta potties. There are people, yeah, they didn't have enough of those either. There are people climbing on top of the bus terminals. These little tiny shelters you kind of stand in to keep the rain off you. Everywhere. And I've come away with two things at this point. And it didn't really matter where I walked. But there was two smells that kind of pervaded everywhere I went in Cleveland. One was of smoked sausage. Because there were, there were hot dog carts everywhere. There were um, uh, food trucks everywhere. Over on Reserve Square, they had 50 different food trucks. 50! Everything you can possibly want or imagine. So everything smells like smoked meat and marijuana. And I know this because I've had people tell me it smells like the ass of a skunk. And it did not matter where I went, everything smelled like skunk ass. I tried getting away from people, didn't matter. I tried walking over different different streets, didn't matter. People were smoking right out in the open. Nobody cared. There was four, maybe five cops. 
Okay, I don't know what's causing that because my phone is not going off. All right, move that over there. Sassy wheat. Shut up, True. I walked by one black guy, and he didn't see me coming. As he starts to turn around, he blows this giant cloud of smoke in my face. I'm thinking, all right, I, I, there's two, I, I can't avoid it. It's coming right for me. I'm like, all right, hopefully, maybe this is just cigarette smoke. Nope, nope, nope. Reek to high heavens. Oh, my God, it was awful. Held my breath, trying to get away from him. Didn't matter where I went. Everywhere. Everywhere. And it's not racist to say that it was almost exclusively black people that I saw smoking it. I'm sure there were other people that were not black smoking it. I just didn't see them. But there's like four cops per street, so they weren't going to exactly stop them, even if they saw them. And I understand that, and I get that. But that doesn't mean I had to like it, and I sure as hell didn't want to put up with it. Yeah. Sorry, my phone did go off. I'm getting a weather alert here. Now we're expecting storms in the area this evening. So as I pull this up here, the radar on the uh, big screen to see exactly what is coming at me, if anything. Ah, uh, strong thunderstorms. Nothing severe at the moment. Although I guess it's going to suck if you're out over the lake. <laughs> thunderstorms possible around 11. Oh, I got time. 100% chance. All right. Oh, we're fucked. That's right. We'll be off the air. Actually, no, I'll be doing the patron show. Yeah, heard that up. Okay. So, and I'm people watching at this point, which I really like to do. I, I do enjoy watching people, you know, in their environment. Gorillas in the mist. And it, it's a very, very jovial atmosphere, obviously. Now, the night that we won the championship on Sunday, and it does go with, with saying this. There were exactly five arrests in all of downtown Cleveland. Of all the tens of thousands of people, they had five arrests for drunk and disorderly. That it. There was a rumor that somebody had stolen a fire truck and was driving around Cleveland. The Cleveland Police Department tweeted out a picture of said fire truck and said, nope, it has been stolen. However, this is not acceptable. And it showed like 20 people standing on top of it. Everybody's kind of, you know, waving hands and, and waving Cavalier flags. Now, there was one uh, cop car that got mildly damaged because everybody was jumping on the roof and jumping on the hood when we won, but that was it. And the cops tweeted out, so, hey, we're all in, which was the, the, you know, the battle crier motto of the Cleveland Cavaliers this year. We're all in. Minor damage to the car. We'll take care of it. Not a big deal. That's it. That's it. How many times, especially you Euro trash, just during the, the uh, Euro Cup right now, how many different teams have been threatened with sanctions or having to forfeit the game because of the way your hooligan fans have reacted? England, Germany, Russia, looking at you guys. How many times have you watched after the Stanley Cup or the World Series or the Super Bowl or the NBA Championship and they show people in these cities burning dumpsters, burning cars, overturning cars, destroying uh, uh, streetlights, you name it. Nothing. Just tens of thousands of very happy people. All right, now magnify that. Put that on steroids. That's what you had Wednesday. And the day started off very nice, very cool. Low 70s. Breeze coming off the lake. Very, very pleasant. Overcast skies. Now, uh, keep in mind, 
The parade is supposed to start at 11. Huh? No. I go back to what I said about everybody vastly underestimating how many people would come downtown for the parade. There were people flying into Cleveland from all over the world to be here. It's known, at least in the sports circles here in the States, that Cleveland travels very well as a team. It doesn't matter what city you go to, no matter which professional sport, you're going to find a lot of Cleveland fans. And the reason why is people, when they grow up here in Cleveland, they go to school, they get good jobs, they don't stay here. The economy has never been that good. It has been for a long time. It's getting better. But people get up and they go to other places. So when they move to, they move to Dallas, you know, they move to, you know, Philadelphia or New York or Miami or wherever. They don't just become fans of whatever there happens to be the hometown team. They remain Cleveland fans. That was no, no better example than the 90s Indians, the Cleveland Indians of the 1990s and early 2000s. It was a home game for any basically any city within six hours of here. If there wasn't enough people already living in a city to buy you know, tickets or there were Indians fans, we went from Cleveland to those places. Hondo says, Boston knows how to throw a winning team parade. It's because we get so much practice at it. All right, fair point. Between the Celtics, the Bruins, the Patriots, hell, even the White Sox have won, what, three in the last 16 years? No, I don't have to put a deflategate joke in there. I, I, I think the entire Tom Brady thing is a joke. Sorry to disappoint you, buddy. I think the way the it's uh, Deflategate isn't as big a deal. I think Spygate is far worse. The fact that your team was spying on others and recording it for so long. I think that's far worse. And they've already been punished for that. I don't need to make a joke. The Patriots are already known, and Pelichick and Brady especially, are known as cheaters. And they have been for the better part of 10 years. That Trust me, the deflating of footballs took no one by surprise. But we're getting off topic. 11.30 goes by, no parade. Noon goes by, no parade. 12.30 comes by, no parade. And now it's starting to get hot. We're on asphalt. The temperature is rising into the mid-80s. There's a crush of people around me. About this time, I get a, a text from Lulu, which was very um, uh, intermittent because there were so many people downtown that the cell network got crushed. So you were lucky to get out. I sent you know pictures and, and, and text out. I couldn't tweet at all. Nothing was happening from downtown. There were so many people that the cell network just couldn't handle the load. So over the course of 20 minutes, I get broken texts from Lulu basically saying her entire office is emptied out because they've all gone to the parade. All the lawyers are going down to where the rally is. So she is the only one left in her entire building. The problem is she's over on the west side of Cleveland. She's a good... 15, 20 blocks away on the other side of the parade. And Lulu doesn't do well in giant crowds. Anxiety problems, panic attacks. Doesn't like them. However, she's going to venture out and try to make it over to where I'm at. Good luck! So I start going, I go through back alleys, and I have to go back up the road, turn around, and then go over. And I had to go west, uh, down towards Progressive Field, down towards the uh, baseball stadium in the hopes that I could find a place to cross over to get to her. While this is happening, the parade has now started going by at a snail's pace. 
you know, first they came the Lake Erie Monsters, the their IHL team that we have here in town, the minor leagues for hockey. All right, and they just won the championship last month. They won the Calder Cup, so they go by. Then the UFC champion, who's from Cleveland, goes by, and he just won it a couple months ago. I, I, I can never pronounce his last name because he's it's Eastern European. It's Maya, Maya, Maya Sipic or Maya Sup. I can't pronounce it. Nice guy though. So he goes by in his float. And when I say it goes by on float, I'm talking they're going about 10 feet every 10 minutes. There are so many people in the streets that they cannot move them back fast enough or far enough for the floats to go by. The Ohio State Marching Band goes by. Urban Meyer goes by. He's the head coach of the Ohio State football team. Jim Brown was there. You know, Arguably the greatest football player ever to play. He is there. Bernie Kosar of the Cleveland Browns was there. And they're they're trying to get these guys by, all right? And we haven't even gotten to the players yet. Uh, Machine Gun Kelly, who's a rapper here in Cleveland, I guess he's pretty well known. He goes by, he's you know singing one of his Cleveland songs. People are going nuts. I mean, and you, the only way I knew that people were coming is because you'd hear, like, the cheering start, like, two streets away. And then it would kind of like a wave. It would build up and build up, and then it would work its way towards where you were standing until everybody started cheering, and then you knew, okay, somebody's driving by. As I'm crossing the back alleys, as I'm working my way towards Reserve Square, over towards Progressive Field, you know, I'm looking down, you know, between out on the streets, between these alleys where all the buildings are, okay? There's just people everywhere. There's nowhere to go. Eventually, half an hour goes by, and I'm able to walk over two streets. Two. Another half hour, it's now about mm, one o'clock, and I'm finally getting towards Progressive Field. Now the players are starting to make it by. Here comes J.R. Smith, still not wearing a shirt. Hadn't been seen wearing a shirt since after the game on Sunday. And Delvadova comes by, and you know uh, Ian Shumpert, and all the players. Kyrie Irving starts coming by. Now Kyrie Irving deserves some credit for me, not only as a player, but as a guy. All right, as a man. His float wasn't going anywhere. There are so many people surrounding his float that it simply wouldn't go. So he is catching stuff being thrown at him from out of the crowd, autographing it, throwing it back. Shoes, shirts, hats, you name it. Then when people stop throwing stuff at him, he starts reaching down to a giant pile of stuff he brought with him inside the float. Pick up a shirt, signing it, throwing it into the crowd. A hat goes in the crowd. Shoes, three and four $500 shoes, sign them, goes in the crowd. Then he hops down off the float and he starts going up and down the rows, high-fiving people and taking selfies with them. Why not? It's not like his float can go anywhere. The Cleveland had all of their riot horses there. They couldn't get people to move back. Absolutely insane. So I finally get over to Progressive Field and uh, there's a break in between where the cop cars are trying to escort each float in the parade down East 9th. I'm able to quickly run over and I get to the other side of the street. I'm able to get up, you know, link up with Lulu. And we meet over at the Jim Tomey statue in front of Progressive Field. So then we sit there and we watch, and then LeBron James comes by. And it's, we knew he was coming because, again, that wave of noise we heard around the corner, coming from the, uh, off of West 3rd as they went down past Progressive Field on Ontario. And you can hear it's, again, like a wave. You can hear it starting. And then as it gets closer, it gets louder and then louder. And then louder, like, what What the... And we're trying to think, we're like, okay, it's got to be LeBron James. 
everybody else has passed us. And then this huge crescendo as his car is driving the back of a Ferrari. Turns onto East 9th. People are losing their shit. Now, he's in the car with his wife and his kids. And all the kids are wearing, actually what I'm wearing now, which are noise-canceling headphones. And I don't blame them. They needed them. It was that loud. We are outdoors, folks, and it's that loud. And I start looking around, and there are people hanging off of balconies. There are people hanging off of marquees. There are people hanging off of street signs, street lights, Anywhere somebody was able to scramble up and hang on to for more than three seconds was doing so. It was absolute pandemonium. Now, I have been down to Columbus, Ohio, for the Ohio State-Michigan weekend when Michigan's in town to play Ohio State in football. And I've been to Heinegate. And Heinegate usually has, they usually have about almost a million people crowd into Columbus for that game. And it's wall-to-wall red. People wearing red. You can't move anywhere. There's no place to park. Uh, Miss McMim had to walk three miles. I mean, he or she and I had to walk three miles back to my sister's house when we were there because you couldn't get a car in or out of Columbus. I do not exaggerate, folks, when I tell you what I experienced in Cleveland was far worse. And it was awesome. Every race, every creed, every age, every a microcosm of everybody living in the United States was at this parade. It was astounding. It was loud. It was uh, amiable. It was jovial. Everybody was having a good time. A weight had been lifted off the city that had been sitting on our chest and crushing us for five decades. Now, I understand this is sports. And the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter a great deal. It is our distraction from the more gruesome and nasty things in the world. But there's not a major city in this country possibly the world that doesn't tie its identity to its sports teams, whether that be soccer or rugby or cricket or baseball or basketball. This finals brought in tens of millions of dollars to the city. Cleveland has this had this kind of positive press in probably since Rockefeller ran the place at the turn of the 20th century. You have the UFC champion is from Cleveland. You have the minor league hockey champions, Cleveland. The NBA championships, major, one of the four major sports, Cleveland. The Cleveland Indians have won now 12 games in a row. They're five games up in the Central and they won again today. They're in first place. The Republican National Convention comes here next month. They have spent, I don't know, $40, $50 million here in Cleveland already just to pretty the place up. Road construction. Landscaping. 
you name it. 2016 has been the year of Cleveland. The amount of money pouring into the city, the amount of attention, positive attention. You're taking the city uh, of perennial losers, and that's really what they are. Whether that's, you know, the river catching on fire or the mayor is catching his toupee on fire, defaulting, you know, the first major city in the country to go bankrupt on a Dennis Kucinich, etc. And a lot of the sports stuff I'm going to hold off to for the patrons episode. It is perpetual bad news. We've had a giant inferiority complex for as long as I've been alive. And a lot of that still hasn't gone away. But these are huge steps in the right direction. And it's a big deal to those of us who lived here. Unless you're from Cleveland, you don't get it. You have never had your heart ripped out time after time after time. Right when you think you're going to win it all. Success breeds success. Whether that's a sports team or not. Perception is everything. If Cleveland is seen as as a winner because of what they do in sports, they're more likely to have people coming in here. Businesses, jobs, conventions, you name it. Whether you're a fan of the Republican Party or not, it cannot be denied how much they have brought to Cleveland and they're not even here yet. They have done more for this city since announcing they were coming here the Democratic mayors of the city have in the last 40 years. And that's not, you know, hyperbole. That's not just a right-wing point of view. That's a God's honest truth and a fact. Look it up. For those wondering, two records were set during that parade. The first is the NBA record for most championship merchandise ever was blown away Monday morning, the day after the championship. People were waiting in line at Dick's Sporting Goods all over Northeast Ohio when the game was over. They stayed open until 4 a.m. on a Sunday night until they ran out of merchandise. Closed down, Rush ordered everything in, then reopened again at 10 a.m. the next morning, on Monday morning. And people were in line. The second record is, and a lot of people have pretty much confirmed it, It is the largest uh, sports-themed parade in the nation's history. Over 1.3 million people crammed into Cleveland on Wednesday. This past Wednesday, the 22nd. Folks, there are 2.1 million people in all of the greater Cleveland area. More than half were in downtown Cleveland. If you want to see pictures and video of what it looked like, they are all over the internet. They are not hard to find. It is astounding. I've got pictures and video of my own. None of it it's it's as good or looks like what I've seen. I'm glad that I was able to experience it. I'm glad I got to go. I don't think I would have been happy with myself if I had not gone. In a way, I wish I'd been downtown Sunday night when we won it all. And instead, I had catered food here for everybody that showed up.
Obviously, we're not getting Hawkeye's stories. Uh, Hawkeye spent the night there, overnight, to make sure he got a good seat. So, and I know he saw some stuff. Um, obviously, we need to get his stories, both from Sunday night when he was downtown, and again, Monday during the parade. I'm sorry, Wednesday during the parade. Uh, the story of his booze cruise and everything else. So we'll get to that next time he's in here. But I don't know if I will ever get to experience that again in my lifetime. The way the Cleveland Indians are playing, it makes you wonder if they'll make a run at the World Series. Wouldn't that be something? If the Indians win the World Series in November? I will say that I'm a little surprised that, by the way, during the parade... No problems. Nothing burned, nothing destroyed. There was one girl, age 15, who got shot in the leg after the parade was over, away from where the parade was. I think it was over like Tower City or something. Way the hell away from the parade. Had nothing to do with it. That's it. 1.3 million people. No stabbings, no shootings, no theft, no fighting, no broken... There was a few small things broken, mainly RTA uh, bus stops because people were climbing on top of them and they got they were too heavy and they shattered the glass. Some people got cut up a little bit. But that's only because people were trying to get a good view of the parade. The parade didn't wind down and get to uh, the facility. And keep in mind, they were they were riding maybe a mile, all told, mile and a half around the city. They didn't actually get to the stage until about a quarter to 5 p.m. that night. Lulu and I went, we eventually, once we got to see the rest of the parade that we wanted, we walked all the way back to East 41st, got my car. I had to wait in line because you couldn't, at this point, people are leaving, trying to get out of Cleveland. You couldn't go anywhere. From East 41st to East 9th took me two hours to move to. Two hours to drive less than a mile well that's not true was it two miles something like that the point is it should have been very quick instead two hours finally drop her off over at North Point so she can grab her car to head home it is now five o'clock at night and they're just now because we're hearing on the radio they're just now starting the speeches and all that of the players over at the uh, stage, over at the Foynevich Park. The parade was supposed to be done by twelve thirty, by their estimates. It didn't get in. St- I, I imagine, including all the uh, uh, speeches and all that, it didn't end until almost six thirty. Just astounding to me. It was a hell of an experience. I'm glad I went. But all that and more are the reasons why the show has not been on the air the last few weeks. So my apologies to that. I think you can all understand why. It was worth it. Can't wait to get Hawkeye stories. Uh, we won't get him tonight, obviously. I expect he's home now. But uh, I would expect him here next week. You know what? Programming note. Next weekend here in America is the July 4th weekend where we celebrate our independence for beating the shit out of the British. Yay! I will be at a party next Sunday, 3rd. 
I will get together with various co-hosts and see maybe we will do the show on Saturday evening if we have nothing going on. So I will try to get something at least in the books, if not live, then certainly recorded for you all to enjoy. Uh, so we'll get to that. Uh, I, I will hope to have something next week. Okay, why is my email... Hang on, as I try to get my email working where all my articles are. Uh-oh. Did I disconnect? Well, apparently I may have disconnected on my end, ladies and gentlemen, so if you can't hear me, uh, that's probably why. Although it shows internet access. Shows I'm still connected. All right, bear with me, ladies and gentlemen, here. I know this is recorded, so you're not going to lose anything if you're listening on the podcast. Trying to reconnect. Now, the archive part won't change because I am I record locally to the computer. I don't... You know, when we were over at Rivalcast, we had to record it something else, a different program. I don't do that anymore. I do it locally. And it alleviates problems like this, which happened. And no, the storms have not hit me just yet. I'm still in good shape. All right, I'm back in. I don't know why they did that, because I never lost connection. Maybe there was a hiccup or something. Let me log back in here. Okay. All right, let me grab my articles. There we go. Oh, my God. I check my messages. People even text me saying, hey, you just lost connection. Uh, okay, yeah, the stream did go down. It's back up. Okay, so I guess we're back online. Yeah, I don't... Stupid phone. I'm not sure why they did that. Um, kind of weird. But there's actually a couple here that I want to get to. We do have a You've Been Told uh, from Octail. Because uh, not only has there's been a lot of sports news, there's been a lot of news news that we need to get to. And I do have some opinions on that. Uh, we'll get it right out of the break. We're only going to take one break since we're running solo this evening. I'm only doing, you know, obviously the show myself. We don't need to take two breaks. Um, I don't know if we'll go with full three hours. And I still have to record another show after this for patrons. The Okay, thank you, True. So I'm back on. Again, if you're getting the podcast, you won't notice any uh, hiccup because it recorded locally. Uh, this is from Gama Sutra and Gama Sutra, however you want to pronounce it. I am aware of this. I am very much aware of this. And that's why I kind of wish they'd come out with uh, Quake Champions instead of Doom 4, but, you know, I digress. As Quake turns 20, John Romero looks back at how it all started. Excerpt from a December 1st, 1994 post on AOL. By John Romero's, uh, of he works for obviously for Id's Quake, which was then in development. Twenty years ago today, Id Software released Quake, the seminal 3D first-person shooter that succeeded Doom and went on to spawn a franchise of its own. The latest of which, Quake Champions, is currently in development. While Doom popularized first-person shooters at large and had its own passionate multiplayer community, Quake's beefier multiplayer design. It was one of the first games to come online to multiplayer game services in the 90s. Gave rise to a plethora of concepts modern game designers take for granted 
including everything from a cooperative play in the first-person shooter campaign to rocket jumping to the original Team Fortress mod. I played that mod. To mark the game's 20th uh, birthday, id found, co-founder John Romero published a blog post today that rounds up a few choice bits of uh, ephemera released during Quake's development. It's an intriguing collection for game developers to peruse. It sheds light on id Software's uh, culture of game development in the 90s and serves as a reminder that the game you set out to make isn't always the game you wind up shipping. Quote, you can see the original design thinking behind Quake while we were making it, so writes Romero, referring to the old Quake Talk 95 Frequently Asked Questions, published by id in October of 95 to keep a fans apprised of its development. It bears little resemblance to the designs discussed here, but it lets you see how volatile game designs can be. And sure enough, you can read through some of the 90s press coverage of Quake, uh, collected in the old fact, and get a glimpse of a much different game than the techno-gothic FPS it wound up shipping. Anybody remember Heretic? It was another id game. It was pretty fun. Very underrated. Quote, the current setting, notice I didn't say the evil S-word story, is a fantasy world where the player becomes Thor-like being wielding a giant hammer, which you can throw at or bludgeon anything that moves, reads the story on Quake excerpted from July 94 issue of Computer Gaming World. As Romero was describing the multiplayer Quake of his imagination, he was literally hopping out of his seat and pantomiming the violent drama between two warrior gods punctuating the action with sound effects. The final game, of course, wound up losing the giant hammer, but retaining the violent drama. You can find more choice quotes from the Quake Talk 95 frequently asked questions, as well as some of the very first Quake screenshots Romero ever released and his full blog post. I played Quake 1 when it was first released way back in 1996 and started playing for various clans almost immediately over on the old uh, Cali services and uh, Spynet, I think it was. Yeah, I think it was Spynet. It used to actually look for uh, servers to connect. I even remember some of the old servers I played on. God, that was Arrows, E-R-O-L-S, the Arrows server. That's where all the 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 top the top notch pro level capture the flag players would go, and then there were private servers that you only heard about by word of mouth. And then you, if you were you know one of the highly regarded clan members, you know the various clans, you were given access codes so you could actually start and stop games. You could actually set them up on these private servers. <clears throat> uh, what was it? Um, Network Quake was what we played. QuakeNet. Because there's two different games. There was QuakeNet or Network Quake, and then there was... What the hell was the other one? Maybe it was QuakeNet. Network Quake and QuakeNet. I think that's wrong, though. One of them was basically for... Um, and Network Quake basically gave you... Reverse that. Okay. Let's assume QuakeNet is correct. Okay. The old style was for HPPs, high-ping bastards, people that were using dial-up connections to play. All right. And the game would give you kind of a... a it predicted where you where it thought you were going to shot. So it would lead your shots a little bit for you. And the idea behind this was to correct some of the lag that you would have between where you were aiming and where the bullet or the missile actually went. At Network Quake, they didn't have, but it didn't have that, that algorithm. It simply shot where you were pointing, and that was that. There was no lead time. There was no SV aim. Where you shot it is where the bullet went. I played Network Quake. 
I hated anything that tried to predict where I where I thought I was going to shoot. It aggravated the piss out of me, and I never used it. So I didn't play with the plebeians who were doing the dial-up. I always had ISDN, and then later we had a, uh, a T1 connection. Well, we had part of a T1 connection. So we were always pinging much better than everybody else. But that also meant that we could only play against other people that had the same kind of ping. LPPs, low ping bastards. Those of us who had pings that were sub 100. To this day, I submit to you that Quake 1 was the best first person shooter ever. True says, I remember playing Quake on Heat.net, the old Sega network. Kill pixels, not people. God, those are some great days. I still got screenshots for our first game. Our first as Clan Imperial Guard, Clan 1G. Still had the screenshots. In fact, you know what? I'm curious if it's still up there. Let me see. ClanRum.org. I bet it's not there. I'd be surprised if it was. I'll be damned. It's still there. If you go to Clan-Rum, R-U-M dot org, you will see one of the old original clans we played against. This is a, a capture the flag clan. They were awful. They were garbage. But I know they stuck they stuck around for a while. Looks like one of the posts from Friday, April the thirtieth, two thousand ten. And I remember Crash. He was one of the one of the guys who played. But if you go to matches on a navigation on the left side, and you go down, it lists all the different matches they had. Uh, the time and whether it was a win or a loss. And it's just, it, right now, if you go through, it's a who's who of the best clans. Unforgiven Gunmen. Those were uh, the XUX guys. Guys were nuts. Very good players. Um, let's see. Black Magic. Very good game. We are listed simply as Imperial Guard. If you check it, we played them on May the 28th, 1998. If you click on that, there's actually a description. I think we've done this on the show before, but I'll do it again. And if you click on it, there's actually a description of exactly what happened. And in this, they admit that they lost, but that they claimed it as a win anyways because they didn't like... The fact is, they kind of fucked up when they were trying to get the game going. They couldn't get in there and get their their pings correctly, and we beat them on their server, then we beat them on our server. And they're acting like such assholes that I got tired of it, and I started screaming at them, as did Pumpkin King and a couple other guys. So we basically said, all right, we already beat you two games out of the five. You can't get your shit together. You can't bother playing because you can't find a server that you really, really like. So we're just going to walk this up as a uh, forfeit. We're going to move on. The CTFL, the Capture the Flag League, agreed because they had to have a rep there watching the game. So they declared it a loss for them. So they forfeited. You've already lost the first two games. Clearly, you're, you're stalling either because you don't want to play or you can't play. In either case, you're, not, you're done wasting your time. It's a loss. So on this one, they said, well, since they declared it a win for them, we're going to go ahead and do the same thing. Okay, you can declare it all you like. I suppose it's scoreboard because their site is still up and mine is not. Mine came down a few years ago. But I'm looking at some of the other big names. Blood Brothers is on here. They were a big clan, very well-known, very good team. Uh, again, Unforgiven Gunman were there. They played a lot of shit clans. This tells me there's like five guys got together and said, hey, we should have a clan. What we should we call ourselves? Let's call ourselves the Stormtroopers of Death or Extreme Supremacy. Gibbering idiots. These are stupid names. 
I take it back. This is not a who's who of the best clans, which is probably why we steamrolled them so bad. And I do know we played them later in the um, uh, the HPB LPB tournament, which was two and two. You were allowed two high ping bastards and two low ping per team. It was a four on four. Yeah, I don't see the Red Dragons. They were a pretty good clan. Gunslingers. Those guys were great. They were out of Akron. Those guys were really good. Uh, this one shows that they they lost. They got creamed. Quote, I was awestruck when I went to talk to Fixie about setting up our match with Gunslingers for a Bannockburn. Gun was one of the truly first CTF clans were very well known. One of their members, Dungo, created a remix. Cheat Complex, Cheat Complex 2. Uh, the Cheat Complex was actually a tournament of cheaters. You were allowed to use whatever hack you could use to see which team could out-hack the other one. And they had a tournament. Uh, they were the biggest asses I have... Oh, here we go. Well, I'll talk about having the air let out of your balloon. They were the biggest asses I have ever met. And not just one or two of them, but every last one of them. The biggest pains in the ass to play against. Everything is a problem. No cooperation on anything. Frustrating. Anyways, we lost this match. Two of our players who were supposed to play and had been practicing the maps couldn't play at the last minute, and we had to sub in two people. Always an excuse. There was only one uh, MIT server up that night, and it was slow. So we had to play on the Jurassic server, which was not good for Blessed, one of their players. So our best player was pinging in the 180s, and we had to sub in two people at the last minute. We won Ruins of Neomonic, but we lost uh, Capture Phobolus and McKinley Station, which is CTF1. Let me tell you, if you go through and read the descriptions of each every one of these games, especially the ones that Clam Run lost, you will find that the games they lost, the other team were always a bunch of dicks. Always. Never had anything to do with them. Yeah, Pepsi for Clan Rum, he's an old he's one of their original members. He was on the team when we beat him. But if you want to take a look back and, and fortunately, you know what? I don't know if the gunslingers still had their website up. They did up until a few years ago. Um let me see if I can still find it. Racing Clan, no. Uh, Quake. So we take a trip down memory lane. Huh? Still there. Gunslingers.org. The Gunslingers are a group of highly talented players that have come together for all from all over the U.S. and Canada, in hopes of becoming well known and respected throughout the Quake community. Huh? No shit. They're still there. Uh, let's see if our matches are on here. Because we did play them in one of the tournaments. And I think we lost 2-1. to one, But it was, a, it was a... Yeah, it is. Clan Imperial Guard. July the 7th, 1998. LPB CTF. Victory. Demos. Ooh, they do have a demo of the game, do they? I bet you it's not there. Holy shit, it is. It's still there. Wow. Now, you want to see, I mean, this is a clan of, they played everybody. Clan Gib, Hi-Fi, uh, Silent Service, Earthquake, Clan Gib, and the Blood Brothers. That was a, ooh, that was an alliance. Big Smoking Fish and the Communist Party. Those were two of the best play, best teams. Flag was another one. Um, Black Magic. Actually, if you think about it, 
Uh, Black Magic, Hi-Fi, and Secret Society, or I'm sorry, uh, yeah, those were all the same clan. They just changed the name. The same five guys. Big Smoking Fish. Uh, where is it? Extreme Supremacy. Clandestine Incorporated. That was my original clan that I played played in. October the sixteenth, nineteen ninety seven. The demos are still there. I don't know how to play these demos. While we're while I'm talking about this, if somebody could do some quick research, if you guys are in uh, IRC. And see if there's a program that allows you to watch the demos from old Quake 1 games. This would be a blast to go back and see those games. And I bet you I'm in them. In fact, I know I am for the Gunslingers because we played them. Um, it was the ah, the Western Alliance. They were the best. The absolute best. They're all West Coast guys. And to this day, a lot of us believe they were hacking. That they were using Aimbot and a couple other stuff. Clan Venom, Ruthless Bastards. Crusaders, yeah, that was actually a. I think that was an alliance team. Yeah, these. Wow, these were the cream of the crop, ladies and gentlemen. In the late nineties, these were the best. Yeah, we took them the two to one, and we barely lost the. We lost the uh, rubber match by I think a couple points. Wow. This is something else. Real quick, I'm going to see if uh, these other links work. Strahd, that was the guy out of Akron. I talked to him quite a bit at the time. A lot of their files are still available. I don't know who's running this thing, but it's still there. Cyber, he was the uh, clan leader, huh? Wolfgang, the Gimp, Jenga, Fumunda, Captain Blasto, Strahd, Ziggurat, you fuck. I remember Ziggurat. He was in like five different clans, though. He was a whore. Wow. Highlighting them even shows a uh, address, an email address. Huh. Even has a link to the old three-wave servers. No, it just links to IGN now. I should tell you something, though. Blues News. <laughs> Everybody used to go there. Yeah, Blues News is still around, I think. Wow. They even got a link to accept challenges. We are currently not accepting challenges. A program that would allow me to watch a demo video of a Quake 1 game. Quake 1 captured the flag specifically. I'm sure there is such a file out there. You know, if you go to Quake O-N-E, Quake1.com, spell out one, they may have something there. (laughs) 
Wow. Don't mean to have a whole lot of dead air, folks, but uh, there's a lot of memories flooding back. I'm trying to think of all the different cool stuff that I saw and missed. At any rate, uh, one more and then we'll hit a break. Polygon.com has this one, and I'm kind of a little annoyed by this because I was looking forward to it. I did enjoy uh, Rockstar's um, L.A. Noir. Horror of the Orient, unlikely to come out. After years of development, we'll probably never see it. It's been nearly three years since we've heard anything about Horror of the Orient, the spiritual successor to L.A. Noir, in development by a team led by the creator of that original Rockstar title, Brendan McNamara. Today, it seems, maybe the last we hear of it. Derek Proud, producer of the game, said in an interview this week that he doesn't believe the game will ever come out. Horror of the Orient was announced in 2012 for Windows PC and then next-gen consoles. It was to be set during the 1936 in Shanghai, described of as the Paris of the East. The title takes place in China that had begun modernizing due to Western influence until the Kuomintang political party. Uh, they would eventually be the nationalists, the one that's the, they would fight the communists after the World War II. They're the ones who went and founded Taiwan after they lost the war. Uh, started to roll back imperialist changes and viciously suppress communism under Chiang Kai-shek. A group of Western cops, the International Police Force, is attempting to keep the peace in the meantime. In early 2013, the development studio at Kennedy Miller Mitchell, a group formed by former Team Bondi members who had previously worked on L.A. Noir, was hit with layoffs because they didn't have a publisher. But KMM's Doug Mitchell uh, said at the time that the game is still in development. The team later received $200,000 in funding from Screen NSW, a branch of the Australian government in New South Wales. Strange. Then, development of the game went quiet. Speaking to Guy Blumberg during a recently a recent episode, this is horrible writing, of the Game Hugs podcast, Proud, who is now director of Gyro Games, walked through what happened with Horror of the Orient. And here's what he had to say. It's transcribed by finder.com.au. Sorry, I was checking in on IRC. Proud. Well, Horror of the Orient was the spiritual successor to L.A. Noir. We were going to use that tech, and we were going to create a game set in the 1930s, maybe the 1940s of Shanghai. Shanghai was the only place in the world you could go to in the 1930s or 40s if you didn't have a passport. So, everybody who was running for some, running from something went to Shanghai. The whole city was run by a gangster called Big Ear Du, or Du, and it's just the most fascinating time, place, and setting. Bloomberg. Which doesn't feel like it has been explored before, not just in games, but even in movies proud yeah it's amazing and we were creating a game with all of that rich texture to it we fought for it uh brendan alex carlisle vicky lord all of these uh narish harani all people on the project all fought to keep the project alive and i fought too it was something we were all passionate about but in the end that's not the way it went bloomberg so will we ever see the game proud i don't think so that was one of the games and one of the studios i kind of left right at the bitter end when we got wrapped up. You can check out some leaked footage from the apparently canceled game right here. Well, that's disappointing to find out. Um, again, it's vaporware. Unfortunately, how many times we've read or heard about great games and... Oh, pardon me. 
great games in theory or, you know, great games that make it halfway through development and they just die out. Hell, even Blizzard's had a couple. Remember Heroes of the Clans? Done. Never came out. Ghost? Done. Never came out. It Titan, their Titan project. Canceled. Never came out. Just one of those things. Disappointing. Not a whole lot you can do about it. Not well. I guess I would have had more to say on it if it had been closer to coming out. I mean, it has been. It fell off my radar until I just saw this article because it's been so long. I just stopped caring. I, you know. There's not a whole lot you can do about it. All right, folks, we're going to take a small break. When I come back, uh, some more articles. We still have. We still have Octail. Uh, he's got You've Been Told We Have to Do. Watch the levels jump. So when we come back, uh, that and more. Keep it right here.
Warning, this show is intended for a mature audience only and may contain harsh language, trans fats, live nudes, and derogatory comments about your mother. Those who are easily offended or have no sense of humor are encouraged to turn off the show now. Parental discretion is advised. This is Invicta 1G of SS Radio, and you are listening to the Emperor on the Emperor's Court. He's back with the fire, and everybody's gonna burn. All right, folks, we're back here in the Emperor's Court here on AlphaGeekRadio.com. I am your host, the Emperor, joining the studio by no one this evening, as the Emperor's Court is a collection of walking wounded, or in Hawkeye's case, not even walking, just wounded. Uh, headed into the break, we had a couple things we wanted to get to. There has been obviously a lot of news happening, um, some world events that have taken place. Uh, while we have been on our unannounced hiatus, uh, one of those has been the British exit from the European Union. Now, obviously, you knew I was going to get to this at some point. It's a very large political event taking place in an election year. Now, obviously, it's not a American issue, although it may not surprise you to find out. A lot of us have been paying quite a bit of attention to it, uh, myself included, especially as my president, Barack Obama, decided to wade into the controversy some months ago, even going as so far as to threaten the people of the United Kingdom with voting to leave, saying if you do vote to leave, the United States will move you to the back of the line when it comes to trade partners with the U.S. I'm a firm believer that people should stay out of the politics of other nations. Obviously, people overseas never have uh, stopped to make comments about what we do here in our politics In fact, I know we covered the story, and Varya might remember a little better than I do. Um, Somebody wants to ask him sometime over on the other station. Uh, I believe that the liberals in various countries, especially in the United Kingdom, wrote letters to voters here in the United States urging people to vote for Barack Obama instead of, I believe at the time, it was John McCain. I have a real problem with that. It's not your country, but out. Now, leading up to it, I we actually had this discussion off air about whether we were going to talk about it since the vote was coming up on the 23rd. And I elected the time not to, uh, although it was a huge story. It's kind of one of those things where, again, where I don't want to comment on some other country's politics. Now, when it comes to events that are taking place or history insofar as they affect the United States, then, yes, I'm going to comment. And I guess this does on a peripheral type basis. It doesn't impact us greatly. At least not on an individual level, unless you have to be very, very deep in the market right now. But we'll get to all that and more. First, um, we do have a couple of you've been tolds in the box. I've been holding on to them because I wanted a full panel in order to discuss them. Now, obviously, we don't have that. And I don't want to go wasting any more of Octail's hard work, but he's got one about the Brexit that I do want to have. I want to play because I want to discuss it. It's a, it's a big deal to me. I'm a political wonk. This is something I want to discuss. He's got it out there. It's in the news right now. and It's one of those things that um, is going to get stale pretty quick. So without further ado, let's play that. Listen to what Octail's got to say. Then I'll have some comments after that. Been Told is a short-form commentary segment for the Emperor's Court, written and produced by Octail. Check me out on Twitter, www.twitter.com slash theoctail. Now you may have noticed in that open... And the open, the last time I did it, you've been told that I didn't send you to my Tech Raptor. 
uh, web address, and that's because I've given my notice to TechRaptor that I will no longer be writing for them. So there is a 30-day period that started on or about June the 10th where uh, I am no longer writing for them, but I also can't do anything with anybody else, and I still have to follow all of Tech Raptor's rules that were in a writing contract that I signed way back in January. So, for the time being, uh, I am a man without country, but that is going to end very, very soon, as I think it's safe to announce now that my wife and I are going to get back into podcasting um, in the very near future. No details yet. I'm still tracking down the last couple of technical things that I need before we actually start recording our first episode. What I can tell you is it's going to be every month. It's going to be on the order of two hours. And it's going to cover topics in gaming and film and art and general geeky nerdiness uh, as well. So... Stay tuned for that. Many more details to come as I get the technical bits sort of finalized for us to actually begin recording. Um, so check that out as time goes on. So the first thing I want to talk about today is I want to congratulate our friends in Great Britain for voting to tell the oligarchs in Brussels where to shove it. So by a 52-48 margin, the British people have voted to leave the European Union. Now, this vote, as it turns out, means exactly nothing. Because it's just an advisory vote for Parliament. And the number of people on both the Conservative and the Labour parties that have resigned in the last four days gives some indication as to how out of touch the elected officials in Great Britain are to the people that they are supposed to be serving. And it remains to be seen if the UK Parliament will actually take the advisement of the people and act on it by invoking Article 50 of the Lisbon Treaty, which is the method by which a country would leave the European Union. Now, why am I happy about this? I'll give you three reasons. The first and the weakest is, of course, an argument from self-interest. For those of you that don't know, the Norwegians have a boatload, actually several million boatloads, of oil under territory that they control in the North Sea. And they've been exploiting that resource for just shy of 50 years now. What that means is they have a fund that is used to offset the costs of doing business in a welfare state and so on and so forth, but the fund itself has, near as makes a difference, $7 trillion in it. And now that Great Britain has voted to leave the EU, it is even less likely that the Norwegians will ever vote to enter the EU. And if they were to enter the EU, that would mean that some vapid oligarch in Brussels that exactly no one has ever voted for could just write a regulation one day to take it. Just whole cloth. 
A guy in Brussels writes a regulation that says public funds based off of resources are no longer allowed under European Union law. But don't worry, if you had a fund at the time that the law was written, you were going to forfeit that to the European Union. And then we're going to give it all to Greece. So, the weakest argument for why I'm happy um, that Brexit happened is an argument from self-interest, because as long as there's an oil fund in Norway, I have a chance of getting a pension from the Norwegians once I find a job over here. The second argument is that the people of Great Britain told the semi-intellectual, pseudo-academic hand-wringing, vapid, intellectual elites, in heavy air quotes, that they are done being lectured at, and that everything they do is not racist, sexist, homophobic, or transphobic. And this reckoning is coming in the United States as well. So take heed, progressives. One of the reasons why I'm not a, a even a liberal anymore at this point is because I am sick to death of being lectured at by people who have not done a goddamn thing in their entire lives other than hide in academia and, and having those people lecture at me that I'm something based on the fact that I do things in my real life. Like, I actually put a spacecraft into outer space. Like, I was on that team. And because I was involved in that, and because I'm not just going to brainlessly vote for Hillary Clinton... I must be a sexist. Finally, the third reason why I am very, very happy that Brexit won is because we are going to see a move away from globalist oligarchies worldwide. And that's a good thing. Sovereignty of the people is the only way to move society as a whole forward. Trying to have people in a disparate part of the world lecture at people in different parts of the world what is moral, what is legal, what is proper, will not work in the long term. It will only breed resentment, and that's what we're seeing in the Brexit vote this week, or what we saw in the Brexit vote this week was a resentment of being lectured at by people that are completely disconnected from what the people are experiencing where they live. So, three reasons why I'm very happy that Brexit happened. On a lighter note, uh, something I'm very excited in the gaming realm is that the Division's uh, first DLC and 1.3 patch are set to hit on Tuesday. The patch itself is going to have weapon balancing in it. It's going to include one new gear set. It's available for free on Xbox One and PC on the 28th of June. will not be available on PS4 until the 2nd of August. The first DLC, which is named Underground, is going to have a new area of the base of operations. It is going to have a new infinitely repeatable, procedurally generated set of content that is strung together with uh, with transition areas so they can take as little as, I think they said 15 minutes, they can take as long as 45 if you string three areas together, 
and they're going to have modifiers that are selectable by the players, sort of in a Destiny sort of mold. Uh, the modifiers will make playing the content a little bit harder. Um, you can lose your mini-map. That will show you where bad guys are. You can lose... Uh, the ability to use both of your skills. So when you trigger one skill, both of your uh, skills go on cooldown. Um, there's a modifier that says if you uh, reload your weapon with more than zero bullets in the clip, uh, that those bullets will be forfeit. So you're literally dropping your clips on the ground as opposed to uh, play pretending that you're consolidating ammo every time you hit the reload button. So there's a lot of interesting stuff coming, as well as a relative power increase with the bringing in of Gear Score 229 weapons and Gear Score 268 armor. Up until this point, the highest Gear Score weapons you could get were 204, and the highest Gear Score armor you could get is 240. Um, I'm just really excited about this because as of now, the Division's been my jam. So uh, I've been playing the hell out of it. It is going to reach the 500-hour club uh, on my Steam list here in not that long of time. So uh, I would, if I were you, to me it's a buy. I mean, if I'm reviewing it to tell you it's a buy. In my opinion, you can pretty much ignore what the colon of the internet Reddit says. You can pretty much ignore what you're reading on the Division Ubisoft forums because the Division forums are approximately 6.02 times 10 to the 23rd times worse than the WoW forums were at their depth in 2008 when everybody who knew what YouTube was was whining and sniveling about not being able to see the content, as intellectually dishonest as that was. But anyway, so like I said, um, check it out. I think it, Division might even be on sale for the Steam Summer Sale this week, or uh, you know through the through the fourth or whatever. Um, so by all means, definitely in my opinion worth a buy, especially if you have a group of people who can play it with you. Um, and the first DLC and patch 1.3 comes out on Tuesday. My name is Octail, and you've been told. Let's go back to Emperor and the rest of the court. Well, the rest of the court is fucking dead, so it's just me. Uh, a couple things. Uh, real quick, people on IRC are hitting me up about Octel and Hordak vs. the World. I, I'm going to let him try out the details for that. Um, I, I, I can't tell you more than he's already said. I believe, as far as I know, that's the first public acknowledgement that he's going back on the airwaves. Uh, I think it's probably the first comment publicly that he's made in regards to Tech Raptor. Uh, I, I don't have more details that I'm allowed to share with you at the moment, so I'm not going to. Simply know that that is something in the works, and I imagine we'll probably hear more in the next week or two. Having said that, a couple of things that I want to hit on when it comes to the Brexit. Um, like Octail, I am I am happy for the outcome, um, although I'm not convinced it's going to go anywhere or actually do anything, and I'll get to that in a minute. But the economic part of it is, is only part of it, and I think that got most of the play until just recently when the polls were coming out showing that the Leave Party, the Leave Group, had more momentum than was originally thought. Understand something here, folks. The market got pummeled uh, on Friday, okay, because the day after the the Brexit took place. All right, the Dow Jones lost 600 points. The pound got crushed. Gold went up, etc. This has less to do with the economics of what happened and more to do with the fact that nobody, nobody, kind of like the Cavaliers coming back 3-1, 
thought that the UK was going to vote to leave. Everybody, the banks, the investors, the companies, the countries, the politicians across the world did not have the people of Great Britain in the United Kingdom voting to leave the European Union. They thought it might be slim, it might be touch and go, but they will ultimately vote to remain in there. That is why the market has tanked as hard as it has to start off with. Because this is uncharted territory. Nobody really knows what's going to happen from here on. Because up to this point, nobody has left the European Union. Although several have made the the threats. I know there's been talk quite a bit of kicking Greece out because of the problems they've had with their economy and their their, uh, uh, debt, etc. It is a scam. Tomorrow... When the market's open, in fact, it should be uh, hitting up uh, actually very shortly because of uh, Japan and China and them opening up uh, overnight okay, because of the time difference. Things are going to start to stabilize in relatively short order. All right. You're going to see the Dow bounce back. In fact, some of the stuff's already happened. The pound has already leveled off. It's already coming back up. Investment opportunities are going up there. I understand the richest of the rich lost a lot of money, $3.5 billion because of the, of the panic. Fine. Is it going to be a rough go for those in Great Britain and the UK? Yeah, maybe. Not near as bad as it was in 07 and 08 with the global uh, recession. You're not going to get near that. Things are, as cooler heads prevail, as people realize the panic wears off and people are like, all right, it's a done deal. Now let's see where we go from this. You're going to see things start to come up and it's going to be very quickly. It's going to happen. All right, that's for starters. The second thing to remember is even if, this is to actually go through, which I, I'm not convinced it's actually going to happen. Yes, I understand they voted for it, but as Octail mentioned, and as you've been told, this is more of a hey, what's up, Jeff Dooley? Uh, this is more of an advisory thing. And people saying, we're tired of this shit. We're tired of people that we don't elect and have no say over spending our money, telling us where it goes, and telling us who we have to bring into our country. And I think that's a much larger uh, portion than, than people realize until just recently. And I'll get to that in a second. If the UK triggers, all right, the divorce papers where they say, all right, European Union, middle fingers, deuces, we're out. It takes two years for that to happen. This is not something that's going to happen overnight. It's not like all of a sudden all your visas and all the travel papers and everything else that you had yesterday are now invalid. That's not going to happen yet. You've got two years. And they have not triggered the uh, release clause yet. They're not going to. They're not going to for months. And I was reading an article before the show went on the air today uh, from Yahoo News where basically they're saying diplomats, uh, both British and uh, Belgian diplomats, are saying that Britain may never trigger their formal divorce. Quote, Britain may never trigger the formal divorce process with the European Union despite last week's referendum in which the country voted to leave. European Union diplomats are saying Sunday. My personal belief is that they will never notify us. The EU uh, never notify the EU about their intention to leave. A senior European Union diplomat said the condition of anonymity. A state leaving the European Union must formally notify the European Council of all 28 leaders, setting the clock ticking on a two-year period for Britain to negotiate its divorce. We want London to trigger that Article 50, which is the requirement, now to have clarity. I expect, as we can't force them, for them to take the time, the diplomat added. 
And I would not exclude, it's my personal belief, that they may never do it. Understand this. And you have a large listing audience in Britain, so listen clearly. And in Scotland, Northern Ireland, etc. I don't care what side of this you voted for, whether you were for or against leaving. If the government of the United Kingdom does not take into account the will of the people and ignores the vote and says, we don't care what they voted, we're not going to leave. Whether you are for leaving or for staying, you need to rise up and take out your government. You need to vote in new people across the board. The next time Parliament comes in, whatever parties are in charge, I think it's the Tories right now, vote them out. I don't care if you have to vote for the Liberals. I don't care if you have to vote for the Greens. I don't care who you got to vote for. Throw them out. That is a dangerous precedent to set where the will of the people are ignored. The Republican Party try and pull that shit here and the result was Trump won in a landslide. The Democratic Party is trying to do that and the result was Bernie Sanders hung around a lot longer than he probably should have. If they fail to follow the will of the people, they need to be removed because they've basically said your opinion, your vote means nothing. We'll do whatever we want. And make no mistake, this is a shot across the bow of all the elitists, all the globalists, everybody at the top. It started with Trump here in the United States. And it's spreading. And it's not because of Trump. Make no mistake. He's not the one that everybody wants. His example is what people want. They're tired of it. They're tired of having their money spent without them saying. They're tired of their money going to help other nations because they can't keep their own shit together. They're tired of having to take in hundreds of thousands of millions of immigrants, people who don't want to be there, who don't like them, who refuse to integrate and flaunt the laws in their face. A few minutes ago, I said that the economics was a big part of it, but that it wasn't the big thing going forward, at least recently, and it's not. Immigration is a bigger problem to a lot of the people in the, in the United Kingdom because they see what's happened in Germany, they see what's happened in France, they see what's happened in Sweden, and they don't want the same problems. They've had their own spat of terrorist attacks. And I'm not talking the IRA. I'm talking all the shit that the people have pulled. The two bombings, the knives, the knifings, etc. Who is the European Union to dictate to anybody that they have to take in a X amount of refugees from Syria? That's not the UK's problem. That's not Europe's problem. And you want to see an example of what happens when the left loses? And make no mistake, that's who we're talking about. The liberals, the progressives, because that's who wanted to stay in. They wanted the big socialist circle jerk, and they didn't get it. So what do they resort to? Not, you know, minutes before the vote came in, it was all over everywhere. Twitter, Snapchat, go ahead. You All over. You can't miss it. Facebook, you name it. Oh, they're racists. They're bigots. That's why they voted against it. Oh, I tell you what this is. It's all the old people who were lying when they got polled. And just they told the pollsters, no, we're going to vote to remain. 
all the while knowing in their deep, dark, black hearts that they were going to vote to leave because they're bigots and they hate Muslims. Oh, it's the uneducated going out there making this opinion. They don't know what's good for them. They're rooting it for everybody because they're uneducated slobs. They're the rank and file. They're blue-collar workers. What the fuck do they know? How dare they tell us what to do? How dare they think they know what's better to run this nation? Don't take my word for it, folks. It's all out there. It's archived. It's only a few days ago. You can't miss it. That's what happens when they lose, when they don't get their way. Today, the winner in the Iceland presidential election is a novice. The guy has never held a political office in his life, and he won. Iceland's a very small country, but it's an example of what's going on. In Germany, in France, you have, although they're considered right-wing groups, conservative-type groups are gaining ground, Le Pen and the rest. Why? Because they're anti-establishment. Because they're not the rank and file. They're not the, you know, the top of the line. They're not the people that have been in power for decades on end. People should be able to govern their country however they like. The European Union was created for an economic bloc to try to compete with the United States. That's what it was for. Because together, they had more economic power than they did individually. And how's that worked out for you? Greece, Italy, Ireland, Portugal, Spain. All of them on the verge of collapse or have collapsed. And who has to step in and make up the difference? The people of the United Kingdom, of France, especially Germany. Their treasure has gone in to prop up these countries that can't handle their shit. And you wonder why us in the United States have been bitched about this for years. I don't like that we give away tens and hundreds of billions of dollars in foreign aid. Well, if we don't give it to them, the Chinese will, and they'll buy the influence. And how much has that influence done us so far? We're one of the most reviled countries in the world for helping everybody. Well, that's because you mess with people's politics. Sometimes, yeah, we have, and I'm against that too. Drop the bucket compared to the good we've done for everybody for the better part of a century. Keep the money at home. Don't give out money. Don't give out foreign aid. Let them see to their own defenses. We've got enough problems here. With a country in the verge of bankruptcy for years now, why are we giving away hundreds of billions of dollars to other nations? Let them figure it out. If the Chinese, whose economy is in the toilet, want to help out, let them. If they're willing to get backed by the Chinese, they deserve what will inevitably happen to them, which is a knife through the back. Truth says, speaking of the burn, I was at the mall this morning in a high-end toy store called Puzzle Zoo. Got the Hillary Trump and Sanders Funko Pops this week. According to staff, they have sold like two or three Trumps and Hillary's, but the entire stock of 50-plus Bernie Sanders all sold out in a few hours. I'm glad to see that Bernie supporters had money. I wasn't aware they did. Bunch of welfare-sucking knobs. So before you go jumping out of the window and slitting your own throat, calm down. The market's going to rebound fairly quickly. The pound's going to come up fairly quickly. 
It's not like Great Britain's going to be ostracized from trading with the rest of Europe. This is not the continental system, folks. Things will change, but make no mistake. I know I've used that term a couple times today. Britain will not be the last one to have a referendum on leaving the European Union. There are a lot of people out there that are mad, that are pissed off, and they have every right to be. I wouldn't be surprised if Italy tries it next. I would think some of the smaller countries, especially Eastern Bloc countries, might jet. I, I would not be surprised if France decides to get around to it, although I don't, I don't see that happening under Holland. But once he's out of there, mm, I can see that being put to the vote. I think people, especially in the Western world, are generally nice, kind, and helpful people. But you can only push them so far. You can only take advantage of the situation for so long. When you've burned them enough times, guess what? That help goes away. My thanks to Mr. Adrian Livingston, who has joined us on Patreon, our latest patron. Thank you, sir. I now promise not to say bad things about you every single day on Twitter. Somebody asked me during the break how my Twitter crusade had gone. Well, it kind of died in its infancy as I got blocked by most everybody. Most of the uh, Golden State Warrior fans have blocked me. I think Aisha Curry has blocked me. A lot of their super fans that I kind of jumped all over, along with other fans, other Cleveland fans on Twitter. Because we've been getting you know, no end of shit burgers from them the entire finals. About the city, about crime, about shootings, what have you. This coming from people who live in Oakland. Oakland! And they're shitting on us? But that's what I was looking forward to. <laughs> I try to have a modicum of decorum for those who actually give me money. Uh, the You've Been Told are, almost, are always posted as well for your downloading pleasure. I know of a bunch I've got to put up here, but I will uh, uh, probably this week. There's a couple of articles here I wanted to do, but I don't know if they really go with the show, especially without a panel. The guy, this guy made a five and a half foot working model of a Nerf gun, a Nerf pistol. Essentially, it's a giant potato gun that shoots off a, it's basically a plunger, a bath, you know, a, a toilet plunger wrapped in foam. It's actually kind of funny. I still want a belt fed machine gun. I know they kind of had one with the Vulcan. Still, no, it's not quite the same thing. If you would like to give money to the Empress Court, join us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. Give us money. You'll get access to many things you don't have now. Our backlog of commercials going all the way back to like 2005. Extra shows like the one I'm going to do here momentarily for only my patrons. That You've been told some of our skits and bits we've done over the years. There's a whole bunch of stuff up there for you to download and enjoy. I will end with this article here, and then we've got to head out. From Engadget, Game Studio claims it's lost $450,000 to key resales. Tiny Build says that fraudsters are taking advantage of the G2A are depriving it of vital income. Game key resales are theoretically ideal for players. 
you can buy that must-have title at a discount from someone who wasn't going to use it anyway. However, Speedrunner's publisher, Tiny Build, would beg to differ. It's accusing GT, uh, G2A of, facil- of facilitating a black market in game keys that amounted to roughly $450,000 American in potential lost sales at retail prices. The studio maintains that G2A is refusing proper help, including compensation, after fraudsters bought keys from the Tiny Build store using stolen credit cards and posted them on G2A, making a tidy profit, while Tiny Build made nothing. Supposedly, the only way to get help would be to forge a deal with G2A itself and undercut its own retail partners in order to compete with the bootleggers. Simply blacklisting a range of keys wasn't an option either. G2A, to no one's shock, sees things differently. It believes that Tiny Build made unjustified demands of its store. It also argues that it suspended shady key sales before Tiny Build even got in touch, and that the developer isn't being entirely honest about its revenues. It's using the peak prices as its model, not the sale price that frequently appears. G2A is giving Tiny Build three days until June 25th, to deliver a list of suspicious keys that it wants to investigate. The true truth might be somewhere in between these two positions. G2A wasn't the one who bought the keys from Shady Means, and it did take steps to keep things clean without being prompted. However, this does suggest that both sides may need screening that discourages fraud in the first place. It's rare that someone honest will buy or sell game keys in those kind of quantities. Which makes me wonder, if somebody was buying up that many keys with stolen credit cards, why was it that Tiny Bill didn't notice that? For one, I've got to, look, and they've bitched about this for many years. About ah, oh, people are buying and selling game. Let me go get my drink. Hang on. Sorry, I wasn't talking for three hours by myself. It starts to, you know, get on me. Where was I? Oh, that's right. Oh, it's not fair. People have been, been buying keys and they turn around and sell them to other people at a discount. Well, you know what? The same complaint happened 50, 60 years ago with used cars from all the car manufacturers, complaining that somebody who bought a new car could turn around down the road and sell it used, and they didn't get a cut of the money. Same thing applies, dipsh. It's the same thing. If I buy a game and either don't use it, never get around to it, or use it for a while, then sell my key, that's my business. I bought it. It becomes my property. And don't hand me any of this EULA bullshit about, well, they retain it no matter what happens. No, fuckbag. If I buy it, I'm not renting it. It's a purchase. It's my property. I can give it who I want to. Now, for Tiny Bill to say, well, they shouldn't have allowed this to happen why didn't you submit a, a list of keys then that were bad, that were stolen? If you know how many of these various credit card purchases were made by stolen credit cards, then you should have at least a modicum of ideas of how many of those keys and which specific ones were sent out the door illegally. Why did you not invalidate those keys on your end right away if you know they're stolen property? and it's to games and a server that you run, then why did you not block use of those keys? I'm not defending G2A. I'm simply saying that the onus is on the company itself. 
I don't run a games company. I'm not sure how often somebody uses a credit card to buy 50, 100, 200, 1,000 game keys. And if it's happening over and over and over again to various credit cards, uh, I'm probably going to ask why. Where are, they, where are they going? What is it doing? If they're buying two or three here and there, yeah, I probably don't notice. I'm guessing the vast majority of people buy one key. This is an argument that's been going on for a while as game companies have been trying to figure out a way to kind of get in with that, that resale market. You know, it's the same reason they bitch all the time that Steam puts all their games on sale. Well, you know what? Everything goes on sale at some point. Nothing remains a full retail price forever. Well, they do it right away. Well, you know what? Guess what? People have learned. They don't buy the game right when it's released at full price anymore. There's a lot of people that don't. Baron Von Gosu rarely buys anything at full price. He almost always waits for something to go on sale before he buys it. Truth is, the main issue is the fact that it's trivially easy to get stolen credit cards. Also, um... Keys causes major backlash, like when Ubisoft did it. I understand that. However, there's got to be some kind of common sense to this. There's got to be some kind of algorithm that shows, hey, there's a high probability that these keys are stolen, that they have been bought with a, with a stolen credit card. Turning around and yelling at, I mean, that's like eBay. You know what? If I stole something and sold it on eBay and somebody doesn't find out for weeks on end after the fact, why is eBay getting yelled at? How would they know if it was stolen or not? How would they have any clue? If I stole, if I walk into Best Buy and walk off with uh, 100 copies of uh, Call of Duty and then I stole them all on eBay, eBay has no idea what's going on. They have, they're so big they can't watch every single auction. Now, I don't have an eBay account anymore. Mine is long since expired because I haven't used it in years. But if I was to make one and sell 100 copies of Call of Duty, okay, guess what? Copy's been sold. I've got the money. Now I disappear. What's eBay going to do? Why are you going to yell at them because they didn't know? How the fuck are they supposed to know? How would G2A know for certain if these were stolen keys or not? Obviously, they had some kind of common sense that said, hey, and there might be something to this. We should start banning a few of these until we know what's going on. Because apparently they did it without being prompted by the company. True says the reason for the backlash because the users who get their game revoked most likely did pay for it, but they paid G2A. Okay. Shit happens. That's the, uh, the price of doing business. If you're buying a discounted game from G2A, then you know that is a certain possibility that those keys may or may not have been gotten legally. Unless you pay G2A extra for insurance, they tell you to pound sand. Again, that kind of goes with the territory. You're rolling the dice. You know what? It's no different than me buying a beta key for a game off of eBay. Hey, I want to play the beta of insert game here. Somebody's got a beta Take a Blizzard title. Anybody who goes to BlizzCon gets those cards in little gift bags. I'm taking a chance that that has not been scratched off and that the card, the key hasn't already been used. 
I had an extra beta key that I was given when I won this 30-inch monitor. Way back when, I was given three beta keys. Two of them I used. The third one I didn't. I sold it for a lot of money. And they got the key. I've heard of people who bought keys off of eBay that were not real. They had already been claimed and used. Somebody would scratch it off, use the key, threw it in the garbage. Somebody else found it, took it home, and sold it on eBay for like 300 bucks. A lot of these people that sell it, they've got no previous uh, 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 feedback. You have no idea where they came from. Well, the key's not any good. Yeah, guess you're out of luck. We can't go after them because that person no longer has an account. They've closed it. Can't take the money out of their PayPal. They took the money out of their PayPal, put it in their bank account, closed the account. If you're buying from a site like G2A, buyer beware. You take the risk that one of those keys that you may be purchasing was not bought on the up and up. It very well could be scammed. It could be fake. It could be stolen and it may be made invalid. Yes, it is up to G2A and Tiny Build and the rest. It is up to their due diligence as much as they can to stop as much fraud as possible for their own credibility as well as the fact that it's just good business practice and it's ethics. I'm sure if I had people here, they would argue with me on that one, but that's, again, my that's how I feel about it. Trust nothing. Question everything except me. I'm on the up and up. You can trust me. All right, folks, it's a quarter to ten. We got to get out of here. I have yet another show I've still got to record for our patrons. If you don't like it, well, fuck off. They pay me, you don't. <laughs> All right. Uh, if you'd like to join us on Patreon, I highly encourage it. It's Patreon, P A T R E O N dot com. Please search the Emperor's Court. We're not hard to find. We take as little as a buck and as much as, I think, 50. And you get varying stuff, varying uh, 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 goodies in between there uh, for those, uh, for the amount of money you get. Okay, uh, join us on Facebook at Emperor's Court, on Twitter at Emperor's Court. Uh, I want to thank our show contributor, Kalilu, for sending in the articles we used. I want to thank our social media expert, that being Scrub Puppy, who runs our Facebook page. I want to thank GnomeWise of AlphaGeekRadio.com for hosting us. I highly encourage you, if you are interested in getting into the podcast or video cast world, hit them up at AlphaGeekRadio.com for a low, low price. Of I think it's starting at 15 bucks a month. You can get your foot in the door. So join us on those, Facebook and Twitter. Uh, I want to thank, obviously, our other show contributor, that being Octail, formerly of TechRaptor.net, who sent in the You've Been Told. Obviously, more details to come with his own podcast, restarting up soon. I'm sure we'll have more to share with you as that becomes available. I think that pretty much covers all the bases. Um, next Sunday... We will not be here live. Look for a show on the RSS feed slash website to go ahead and download and listen to in the meantime. But it's July 4th weekend. We will not be here. We're warned. Uh, I think that's pretty much everything. Um, 
Martin. I thank you to listeners for tuning in. Obviously, most for you, we wouldn't be doing this. Thank you very much for your patronage over these many years. As soon as I'm done with this uh, patron show, I think I'm going to go and look for that uh, program that allows me to watch Quake 1 demos, basically Quake 1 videos. I'd like to see my my young self in action beating the hell out of everybody with my grapple hook and quad damage. Yeah. All right, folks. Bad manners are better than no manners at all. Have a good night, everybody. So long. They weren't very good. It could have been a lot better. I didn't really like it. It was pretty terrible. It was bad. It was awful. It was terrible. Get him away. Hey, boo! Boo!